0: You still have found nobody who has subjected this virus to any kind of scientific scrutiny it's becoming clear that science is extremely corrupt and flawed where's the good science
1: the trouble with science is it's not very scientific the way science is supposed to work is you gather observations that are true because you can see them instead of thinking of theories and then trying to fit the facts into the theories. Ready to live at the higher vibrations? Where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey
0: everyone, Robin Openshaw here. I'm the green smoothie girl online and welcome back to the show. Uh, today I bring back Dr. Thomas Cowan. He is a medical doctor. I'm gonna get into why he is helping me feel a lot better about the coming food shortages. I do wanna say before we launch into this this whole episode that I have set up some one-click campaigns so that you can do three things. One of them is, and just if any of these speak to you, make sure you go to Take Action for Freedom. Dot com. This is what you're going to hear me talking about ongoing because we have lost a lot of freedom, which is why we're here today. We're going to talk about that. And and everybody I'm interviewing, I'm asking, what is a way or two that we can take back our freedom? And one of the campaigns we've set up is that with one click, you can tell everyone in Congress who represents you, Congress and the Senate, that you expect them to vote no on H.R. 6666, which is the bill to fund the contact tracing, uh, the contact tracing from the federal level, which means that the federal government can hold it over the states' heads and give each of the states whatever two billion, five billion, whatever of the hundred billion dollars they're trying to fund, which they have to go borrow that money, and then after these states get the billions of dollars and they give them to medical facilities and schools and uh, churches, listen, once we fund that thing, it's ongoing. It's like TSA. It's like It's like Homeland Security, okay? They get us in a vulnerable position, they get us scared, they get us to agree to give up our freedom, it never comes back, right? It's been, what, uh, 19 years now and we've never got those trillions of dollars canceled and all those jobs for TSA. Um, This is gonna be the same thing, but it's a lot scarier actually because once we give this freedom up, the federal government is now in an incredibly powerful position where they can then say, okay, we gave you however many billion dollars and, and to rescue these churches and uh, educational centers and medical centers, but then next year, they're allowed to give them as much money as they want every single year, and what they could do, and I want you to think about this and how powerful this is, is that they could say, we're not gonna give you your money this year unless you agree, all you churches, all you medical facilities, all you schools, that you don't let anybody in your door you don't educate people you don't provide medical services you don't let them come sit in your congregation and worship unless they are are chipped and tracked and vaccinated okay that is the power we're giving to the federal government of course it doesn't say that in the bill people are like that's not true it doesn't say that in the bill no no, no. this is the play that they're setting up you know it's like signing a bad contract that you didn't have your attorney sign right so um please go to takeactionforfreedom.com and with one click when you tell us what your zip code is we will send to everybody in congress in the senate a a letter saying we expect you to vote no on hr 6666 which is an unprecedented loss of freedom but we also will not vote for you in the fall if you go forward with this so very important another we have another thing we're setting up and that is that with one click you can tell your mayor and all your city council members we don't want 5G in our community, and here's why. And here are some resources, and you can go check out how you are going to, you live in this community too. You're, you're going to expose your own family and everybody in our neighborhoods, in our community, to a massively increased cancer risk, as well as autoimmune disease risk, as well as heart disease risk. Um, so go learn about it, Mr. Mayor and Mrs. City Council person and please vote no. And it empowers them. It teaches them important things like the fact that they cannot be sued by telecom. They don't know that. They probably think that they let all these towers be built and they can be sued. By law, they cannot be sued. You tell them that in this letter with one click. You don't have to write the letter. I already wrote the letter. You just give us your zip code and we send it to your mayor, to all your city councilmen. There is another letter in there if you'd like to send it with one click to your governor and lieutenant governor saying we don't support economic shutdown and we don't want any economic shutdowns this winter either okay so these are three super powerful one click health political health politics you guys haven't seen me be this deep in health politics but i have to i have to i have to speak up on these things and i have to help you speak up on these things i got all these staff who are amazing amazingly technical my my small business is still standing is it doing well no no small business is but while we've got some bandwidth and we've got all this talent, we put it to work, making these one-click health politics campaigns so that you can speak up, so you can be heard, so that people who represent you know how you feel about these unprecedented loss of freedoms. So Dr. Thomas Cowan and I get into some of these, uh, these different discussions, and he is going to take us down the rabbit hole of, is this really a virus? If not, what is it? We're gonna talk about a lot of really interesting controversies so that you are empowered with information to be able to speak up more. Uh, Dr. Cowan grows vegetables. He has a one acre farm in the Bay Area and he puts together the most amazing biodynamically grown organic blends of vegetables and greens and superfoods that I have stocked up on because of the food shortages that are coming. So I'm really excited to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Thomas Cowan. So welcome to the show, Dr. Thomas Cowan.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. It's
0: nice to have you back. I know you're in high demand right now. You're one of the few uh, medical doctors who is openly speaking up, questioning the regime right now. And so what, what I want to talk to you about is I want to get into all the, the questions that you have as a scientist, as, as a as a physician about the virus itself, the testing for the virus, And you can just give a mini lecture if you want to, because you speak so well in metaphors. I love all the metaphors that you give. And then, you know, later we'll get into 5G stuff. And then I want to tell people about what you actually do. You're not necessarily have the stethoscope and the white coat on anymore. Maybe you do, but like your product, and this will be a teaser for the end, your product is how like I said, when we weren't on camera yet, is how I sleep at night, knowing that I'll always have my green smoothies and greens and amazing biodynamic diversity of plant foods, even when food shortages arrive. So that's a little teaser because that's actually my favorite thing about you. But um, just go ahead and start with, you know, the last thing I heard you talk about was almost two months ago. What have you learned? I know you're just constantly researching like I am. What are you concerned about with regard to is this really entirely a virus? Has this virus even being been put through the paces scientifically? Feel free to talk about Koch's postulates, and then we can get into the testing stuff too.
1: Okay, uh, so I guess if if you're gonna let me just go go at it, I I guess I can do that. Um, if we do that, I think we should start at the at the basics because. I don't know how many people have heard me speak before or some other people, there are not many, who are talking about this. But I think for those who haven't heard it, it would be the place to start. Uh, the other thing I would say, uh, it's interesting that you said that. I, I just said to somebody a few hours ago, in some ways I've probably learned more medicine in the last three months than in my entire life. And I didn't expect this. And I, I think it's interesting both how close I was before this, and yet many blind spots I had. And that's just the way it is, I guess. But let me t- tell you what I think right now about this. And again, I'm gonna start with the basics. The basics here are uh, the world is complicated place with lots of different organisms. Uh, We all know that. And we are told, we being everybody, including medical doctors, that some of these organisms that are very small cause disease. And I'm going to focus on two of them. One is bacteria, which are unicellular organisms. And the other are viruses, which are even smaller than bacteria. And this, this theory and it is a theory, that germs, particularly now I'm talking about, not fungus and not amoeba, bacteria and virus cause disease. This is actually not new. It goes back to Greek times and, you know, 2,000 years ago, where they, because there are observations that make one think that there might be something that's contagious amongst people causing us to be sick. You know, so they noticed that if two people in the same family got sick and the symptoms seemed the same, one might be passing it to the other. So over the years, and we're talking literally hundreds, if not thousands of years, some people have thought there must be something spread between one person and another. Uh, I would also point out, and, you know, it's not like I have a lecture prepared here, so I may jump around a little bit. That the way science is supposed to work, and and the reason I actually don't call myself a scientist is because one of my favorite sayings is the trouble with science is it's not very scientific. Um, and the reason, but the way science is supposed to work is you gather observations that are true because you can see them. I can see you, therefore I think you exist. Instead of thinking of theories and then trying to fit the facts into the theories, right? That can easily lead you astray. Now, the more information that are observable facts you can gather, presumably then the better the theory will be. Unfortunately, we do it in the opposite way and I'll explain that as we go. So anyways, they had this theory over the years that there were things that were too small to see that were spreading between people and between animals and even maybe between people and animals. And that's what caused disease. And then uh, then you can fast forward to the mid to late 1800s when now they have a microscope, a light microscope. And for the first time ever, they could see things that were too small to see with the naked eye. And they were <coughs> seemingly lit- living organisms that were single cell and so they called them bacteria. And they said, this must be the reason why people are sick. And now you can actually do an experiment to try to find that out. So let's, let's do a thought experiment. So let's say you have a cow. And unfortunately, because you don't know much about cow maintenance, you feed the cow bad stuff like grains and cardboard and dead cow parts and you spray it with DDT and glyphosate and a bunch of other stuff. Now, that's not that unusual, right? That's what people do, they, they mistreat cows. Now, we know now, nobody would dispute the next thing, is that everything that you expose the cow to will come out in the cow's milk, right? So if you spray the cow with DDT or glyphosate or any other toxin, or if you have bad food, that all that will re- be reflected in the in the in the milk that comes from that cow. Now you see, so you take that cow, you get the milk, you feed it to a person, and they get sick. And you say that milk made the co- that person sick, right? You with me?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Now you say, what was it in the milk? So you look under the microscope, and you see a bacteria called listeria. Every doctor knows that listeria is a bacteria and it causes diarrhea, sickness in people who consume it. And so you say to yourself, there, I found the problem. The cow's milk has listeria. The people drink, eat listeria or drink it in the milk. I can even see the listeria bacteria in their stool. And so I proved that listeria causes the person to be sick right that's very clear but let me let me throw another possible explanation so the it turns out that it's the milk that's poison and the listeria which are always there all the bacteria are always there everywhere in fact we now know and we've known for hundreds of years practically that the bacteria actually have different forms and they can almost transmute one form into another form. But let's forget about that for a minute and say if everybody agrees that listeria are always there, so how would you know that it's the poison in the milk and the listeria are only there because they're actually eating the poison in the milk? Right? Mm-hmm. That's possible. In fact. Not only is that possible, if you're, again, stick with observations instead of theories, anybody who's done any gardening like I have uh, knows that if you make a compost pile and you throw stuff that doesn't belong in the compost pile, you'll get funky bacteria growing in your compost pile, right? Nobody says the compost pile has an infection. Mm. They say, You stupid person, you shouldn't have thrown that in your compost pile. And the bacteria are biodegrading that stuff that you put in your compost pile. They're helping you out. Or here's another example. Let's say you have a pond and then you put some stuff like DDT or poisons or whatever in your water. Next thing you know, you get algae growing in the water. The algae are there to eat the poisons. They biodegrade the poisons. If you don't have algae or mushrooms in there, you'll never get rid of the poison. Mm. So they're biodegrading the poison. And so nobody would say, your pond has an algae infection, right? That's ridiculous. Right. They say, you feed the algae the food, and it turns out they like poison, and then they, they're helping you out biodegrading. it. If, if, a, if a tree dies in the forest, and the mushrooms and the fungus and the bacteria digest the tree so the tree body can become part of the humus nobody says the dead tree has an infection with, mus- with fungus but yet we say this uh, milk has an infection with bacteria and the bacteria cause the disease now i would admit that either one of those two explanations could be correct right it could be the listeria that's causing the diarrhea or it could be the milk and the poisons in the milk and the listeria are only there to help you out right either of those is certainly possible now let's think about this for a minute how are we going to determine which of those two is accurate because it turns out it makes a big difference and there's a very simple way All you have to do is isolate the Listeria bacteria from the milk, right? You take the milk and you take out the Listeria. So now you only have Listeria. No milk, so it can't be the rest of the milk. And you feed that to a person and see if they get diarrhea. Now, I would admit that it's possible Listeria are eating poisons and they still have some poisons in them. And so it may be even it's possible that it's still the poisons in the Listeria, but that's close enough, right? If you can prove somebody just eating pure Listeria gets sick, then you've proven the germ theory. Now, here's what I'm about to say, and for all you listeners who may be shocked to hear this, uh, I will say, If I'm wrong, send me one case in the published literature of the last 150 years, where a isolated purified bacteria introduced in an animal or a person made that person sick. Because as far as I and everybody who's looked into this, there is no evidence that that's true. In fact, the interesting thing about this is The main person historically who decided this was true, in spite of a lot of evidence at the time that it wasn't true. So the main person in France saying it was true was Pasteur. And the main person saying, no, this is all about the milk was a guy named Beauchamp. And so Pasteur for 40 years did experiments, many of them in public, where he, he took purified bacteria and he gave them to a person and they got sick, in the usual way. And he became the the lord of medicine, the founder of modern medicine, feted by kings and queens all over Europe. The problem was uh, Pasteur happened to write a personal diary and he passed that to his heirs and he told them never publish this. one apparently his son-in-law hated his guts because he was kind of an asshole. Um, and he did publish it. And in there Pasteur said not once in his 40 years would, could he ever make a, a person or an animal sick with, without spiking the bacteria with things like arsenic and mercury, et cetera. Wow. In other words, he couldn't make that happen So he put what any fraudster would do, which is he put poisons in there and of course he didn't tell anybody. And the poisons made them sick and he knew it. uh, And he published that he didn't put the poisons in because he didn't want people to know, I guess. And that started the germ theory. That's it. Now, people may or may not believe me and that's fine, but that's, that's what happened. Now, so then we go on From there if i can is you want me to just continue here
0: yeah i like it um i didn't know i know you know when we were communicating with you about doing an interview and i've interviewed you once before um we said hey talk about the germ theory of disease versus the terrain theory so you've set that up well um i didn't know the part about the son-in-law and that it was sort of an accident that it got out that his whole theory was wrong
1: so so now
0: now we have
1: established Uh, supposedly, that bacteria caused disease, even though there was no proof of this. In fact, all of the observable evidence was that was incorrect. Uh, So then they go on, and now they have a light microscope, and they can find bacteria. So they move on to a disease like polio, right? Polio started when they started spraying arsenic, lead arsenic, on cherry trees or apple trees. I think it was apple, not cherry. And lead arsenic is a specific nerve poison. And so they were poisoning uh, cherry, uh, apple trees. The people were being exposed to this nerve poison and they were dipping the cows in in lead arsenic. And that was uh, causing neurological problems in cows and in people. And because they were wedded to the germ theory, they said, this must be a transmissible entity, like a bacteria. So they had people who died of this poisoning, they, didn't, they thought it wasn't poisoning and they dissected their brains and their spinal cord looking for a bacteria and they couldn't find one. No bacteria was there. So they postulated that there must be something smaller than a bacteria that they couldn't yet see and that was causing the polio and it's just something that we haven't invented a microscopes strong enough to see it and then they decided they were going to prove that trans polio was a transmissible uh disease so here's how they did it they took uh people who died of polio or were sick from polio and they took out some of their brain or their spinal cord right They put it in a blender with some water and they ground it up. And then they took some of that and fed it to an animal. And the animal didn't get sick, none of them. They fed it to people, the people didn't get sick. So they said, okay, maybe that's not how polio is transmitted, it must be, they called it a virus. Virus means poison. And it means a poison smaller than a bacteria. So then they said, okay, we're gonna inject it into animals and see if that makes them sick. So they do subcutaneous injections in animals, none of the animals get sick. Subcutaneous injections in people, none of the people get sick. They couldn't find an animal model to transmit this, this thing smaller than a bacteria to make other animals sick, right? So then finally they said, okay, we take the diseased spinal tissue from a, a child with polio who is paralyzed, and we can see there's diseased spinal tissue. We take it out, we grind it up, we take two monkeys, we drill a hole in two monkeys' brain, we take about a half a cup of this unpurified diseased spinal cord and we inject it right into the monkey's brain through the hole that we made in the skull. One of the monkeys dies and the other becomes paralyzed. They hold the monkey up by the scruff of the neck and say, see, we prove polio is a transmissible uh, cause. Must be a virus. Now, there's a number of conclusions that reasonable people could draw from that. One of them is they transmitted a disease. And another one is if you're a monkey and somebody wants to drill a hole in your brain and squirt a half a cup of diseased brain or spinal tissue directly into your brain, your best bet is to run as fast as you can because that's probably not good for you. Uh, And yet that was the proof that viruses cause disease and are transmitted now. Again, uh, they didn't isolate or purify because they couldn't do that. They couldn't see anything that small. And so there we go. Now the next step in this fiasco is in in the 1930s, they invent the electron microscope. And the electron microscope allows you to see dead tissue at to very, very small magnification or high magnification, small things. So they took people with polio and other so-called viral diseases and they ground up, you know, they said, this must be transmitted. We can't see it. They took some of their diseased brain or tissue, wherever there was they were sick. They ground it up. They centrifuged it. They stained it, put it under an electron microscope, and they saw these little particles, which were you know, the size of what we now call viruses. And they had genetic material in them, which they could sort of see. And they had proteins and they had a ring around them. So they were encapsulated. And it was a eureka moment where they said, you see, after all this theory that there must be something, we finally see it. It's a virus. And that's what's causing these children to have polio. And so there we go. Now, that seems pretty impressive because now they finally saw something. But then you have to put this in the context of what are called Koch's postulates, which was another microbiologist in the 1800s who said, you know, there are rules for how to prove that an agent is the cause of a disease, a microorganism, right? And here here are the rules. The rules are that you have a bunch of people who have the same symptoms like diarrhea or paralyzed or they have a cough or they die or whatever it is, right? All these people have the same symptoms. If you do an examination of all of those people with the same symptoms, they should have all of them the same bacteria, right? And none of the people who aren't sick, like you or I, they shouldn't have that bacteria or virus, mm-hmm. right? That's only common sense. We're not talking about strange rules for proving anything. We're talking about common sense. In other words, people have, are sick, and then if they're sick and you think it's because of a bacteria, the bacteria should be there and the people who aren't sick, the bacteria shouldn't be there. And then you purify it. So you take the bacteria and you isolate it or the virus and you isolate it and you give that to another person or animal and they get sick in the same way, right? That's how you prove transmission. And then they should have the same bacteria or virus and then you could transmit that and on and on and on. Those are just logic. There, there aren't rules that you can disprove. One of the examples I gave, maybe it's not the greatest one, it's like if you, if you park your car on the street and before you go to bed and then you wake up in the morning and your wife says, is the car still there? Most people would say, wait a minute, let me go and look and see if it's there. And if it's there, you say, yep, it's still there. And that's Koch's postulates. Now we have, we've we've changed the rules. So you wake up in the morning, your wife says, is the car still there? And you say, yes. And she says, how do you know? Because you didn't look. And you say, it must be there because I can't imagine anybody would want to steal. Which may be true or may not be true. But, and she says, why don't you look? And you say, I don't need to look. I don't want to look. I'm not going to look. So the the analogy there is is if you have somebody who's sick, you, you should isolate the bacteria, to prove that it's not there in sick people, purify it, give that to another person, make them sick and get the bacteria. And I can assure you that not once in history has any bacterial or virus disease fulfilled Koch's postulates. There is not one. There is no possibility that 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 has been proven. So they came to a fork in the road. They saw this, they see a bacteria at the site of disease, right? It's in the milk. They see a virus or a so-called virus, a particle, at the site of the diseased tissue. But Nobody thinks that just because something is there, it's causing the problem. Unless you think that because firemen are at the scene of fires, that somehow firemen caused the problem. In fact, it's actually true that the bigger and worse the fire is, more likely you'll see more and more firemen there. They didn't cause the problem. The only way you can prove that is they actually caused the fire. You saw them cause the fire. The only way you can prove the bacteria or virus caused the disease is you purify it, isolate it, which can be done. And then you give that to a person in the normal way. Like if you think it's a respiratory virus, you give that in the normal way and then they get sick. Now let's look at that perspective from what happened in this current so-called pandemic COVID-19 situation.
0: Okay, but before we, before we do, I want to put a fine point on this because, like I said, you have amazing metaphors and examples, and I've heard you give one about the dolphins that get sick, and the scientists who do similar things to what we're ha- is going on right now with COVID-19 would say, is there a genetic problem? Is there a, you know, is there a, do they have a virus? Whereas the, the right answer is, or did we just, the Exxon Valdez just dump, you know, billions of tons of oil into their habitat? Can I just do a really grossly simplified summary of the germ theory of disease and you can say yes or no to it before you move on to creating that bridge between what we're seeing now with COVID-19. Is that okay? Okay, so you got two guys in the 1800s, two scientists, you've got Beauchamp and you've got uh, Pasteur, and one of them wins the war for that century uh, with the germ theory of disease. And that was, that was Pasteur, and he basically said, there's these germs, there's these tiny little organisms, viruses, and bacteria, and they're chasing you, and if they catch you, they'll make you sick, and they might even kill you. And so, you know, then the, the, the next step of that would be, so we got to kill those germs... Whereas you have Beauchamp saying, no, 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 no. It's what kind of terrain those germs are in. Those germs are everywhere. They're everywhere. You have have billions of them in you at any given time. They might even be doing some good things. Um, But it's when the host organism gets weakened that you actually get sick. Is that a good, grossly oversimplified germ theory of disease versus terrain theory?
1: It's decent, except I would clarify that not only do you have to coexist, the role of bacteria in nature is to digest dead stuff. If you don't have bacteria, you're dead.
0: Yeah. I had, I had a doctor tell me that I'm positive. I'm always positive for strep and that used to stress me out until I understood this, uh, I'm positive for Epstein-Barr, even though I've never gotten sick from it. And so I use that as an example. And I've heard you say that there's now evidence that the Epstein-Barr virus actually um, may do some positive things for us, like as part of our whole viome, microbiome. You could talk a little about that if you want before we go on to the COVID-19 thing. Um, It's just a total fallacy that the idea is to kill them, find them, identify them and kill them or prevent them ever getting into you, is it it's a, not only a lost cause and you could never do that, but also they may be actually beneficial?
1: Yes, not maybe, they are. And here's, the, here's what they do. The bacteria and fungus digest all the, whatever is dead and diseased. So it's just like the forest couldn't live unless they could digest the dead trees. And viruses, so that thing that they saw is called an exosome. And it's a piece of genetic material which, which organisms use as an internal genetic communication system and to communicate between organisms. Because this whole theory of natural selection and genetic, genetic mutations is also, let's just say bogus. And I can prove that too, But the, the, but the rapid response Communication system in our organism and between organisms is something happened like an exposure to a toxin. I send out these these budding out from my own cell, which are pieces of genetic material which were mistakenly interpreted as so called viruses. They're actually now proven when you poison a cell, it makes it packages genetic material. It sends that to the rest of the the tissues of the body. It even sends that to other organisms to tell them you've encountered a new poison, you should do something about it. It's the exact same thing because here's the thing. If you have a tree in the forest and beetles start eating it, the tree makes chemicals that sends it out through its roots to the other trees to say we have a problem with beetles you guys should make some defensive reactions to protect yourself. Because here's the reality. Life is not about survival of the fittest or whoever wins. It's a cooperative venture. Whether we ever learn that or not, I don't know, but that's the facts. So the tree sends out messages to the other trees because Imagine if the tree didn't help its friend, other trees survive, you would end up with one tree in the forest, the sun would be too hot, it would get sun damage and die. So a tree in the forest is completely dependent on the microbes in the soil, the fungus in the soil, the other trees, the rabbits, the deer, everything is needed in order for all of them to flourish And so it has this communication signal, which are in in animals are called viruses. The viruses is how we communicate genetic material. And they have been mischaracterized and misrepresented as disease causing organisms with no proof at all, even one case that any virus can transmit any illness to another animal or person.
0: Well, and without proof, but also just the fact that we have billions, if not trillions of viruses in us at all times should all by itself rule out that viruses make us sick. But does the amount of it, is that part of it? Not just the health of our immune system?
1: Or as the founder of chiropractic said uh, years ago, if the germ theory was true, there would be nobody left to believe it.
0: Right. And, and so it carries on, even though um, Pasteur distanced himself from his own theory and said, yeah, sorry, not true. You can talk about whatever form that took. And yet it carries on. Does it carry on because it's so tempting because there's so many people who make so much money? On antibiotics and all the other medical model approaches that as long as you can as long as you can make this about the germ the germ is the enemy and we got to kill the germ then we make billions of dollars is that what it why this happened
1: I, I would say no although that may be a part of it I would say it's because of a phase of evolution that humanity had to go through in other words we came to the point when this is a very materialistic way of looking at the world. It is a very warlike way. It's a very, you know, survival of the fittest, uh, dominance-directed way of looking at the world. And there was a lot of people who had a lot of interest in promoting that way of viewing the world, for one. And I think it was part of the growing up process of humanity. So we got so fixated on, it must be something bad coming from the outside. And there is circumstantial evidence. You do see firemen at fires. You do see bacteria at the site of dead, disease, dead tissue. You do see so-called viruses. When you poison a tissue, it makes more exosomes, which are what we call viruses. So there is circumstantial evidence And, you know, as Stefan Lenka said, a mistake then became a fraud. And so it was a mistake that humanity apparently, I guess, had to go through in order that somehow we grow up and see the world differently. And that's why I think I'm so, you know, unwilling to compromise on this because if we don't see this and the way that the world really works, which is it, it's a cooperative venture, not only between us, but between us and deer and monkeys and frogs and the, and the greens, and, but between us and bacteria and viruses, we either see that or I don't think things are going to go well.
0: You've been way ahead of everybody else the way you grow food. you I almost laughed out loud when you said that you enjoy gardening because we're going to get to just how extensive and sophisticated your gardening experience is and how you share it with the world. and, and uh, It's a big part of my food storage and emergency preparedness. My audience has emergency preparedness on their mind because I'm not tiptoeing around what's going on in the world. We're talking about it head on um we're talking about the fact that food shortages are coming but is so what what you're talking about is the fact that yes there is a fire when the firemen show up uh it it, and yes there are viruses when you test a sick person is this just a giant cosmic example of that scientific rule of correlation does not prove causation
1: yes to a certain extent and then when you find out how they how currently we demonstrate the causation of a virus you just see how bizarre this really has become i mean that's the only word i can use. think of it it's just bizarre that any human being actually thinks like this and if you want i can tell you exactly what i mean
0: yeah i want you to tell me exactly what you mean and and I'm, and i want to make sure that you can go back to it was a perfect time to just start you know, talking about everything that you set the stage for, what you see going on with this whole COVID nineteen debacle, right?
1: So, let's let's take a scenario. So, first postulate: a bunch of people get sick, right? So that's what happened. Let's say it, it means complicated a little bit, because, uh, but let's say that happened in China, this Wuhan, China. Bunch of people got sick. It turns out they didn't all get sick the same way. And it's a little complicated, but let's just say, okay, a bunch of people get sick. What should have happened then is the authorities in the CDC in China, whatever that's called, and maybe if they needed help with the CDC in the United States or the World Health Organization or something, should have said, okay, here's these 500 people who are sick. Let's take a look and see what may be causing it. And then we're also going to find 500 people who aren't sick, who are the same age and smoke or whatever these do. So they're the same group of people, but these guys are sick and these guys aren't sick and we're going to investigate them. And then they should have taken sputum and blood from all thousand of those people and then purified it and see if they see a virus from those people because they said they did it, they gave them antibiotics and that didn't work, so it must be a virus. That's how they said, okay, we can't see a bacteria in their sputum or in their blood, so it must be a virus. Okay, fair enough. So they take the blood in the sputum, they should put it through a filter that only the viruses come through, and they should say, yep, we see millions of viruses from these people who are sick and none of these viruses from the people who aren't sick, right, that's what you do if you wanna see if your car, car is on the street. Now we've got these purified virus, we're gonna uh, spray them in the air to a bunch of monkeys and see if they get sick. And then we can do a control, we can take the, uh, the, the non-virus people who weren't sick, we spray that in them and see if they, are, if they get sick because maybe it's something else, right? And so that would tell you, yes, we purified the same virus from all the sick people, none of the, sick, of the not sick people, and we isolated it, characterized it, purified it. We sprayed the, the sick people's virus on monkeys. They all got sick and we sprayed the not sick people's stuff on monkeys and none of them got sick. I would have said, yep, they figured it out. Now, here's what they did in fact. This is mostly with the first uh, Cove one, but similar thing with Cove two. They take the snot of, of of a few people who are sick, right? Like 10. They don't purify it, they put it in a centrifuge and the liquid part goes to the top and all the stuff goes to the bottom. There could, this is dead fungus and bacteria and viruses and poisons and who knows what, right? It's that you have no idea what's in there. Then they take this stuff from the centrifuge, which is unpurified, and then they inoculate that on lung cancer cells. So in other words, they put it into a, 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 a dish of lung cancer cells, which they previously starved, because if they're like healthy lung cancer cells, that, it, that this stuff won't grow in them.
0: Healthy lung cancer cells?
1: <laughs> right, so they have this culture of tissue, like, like egg tissue or it has to be living tissue or fetal cells or they use lung cancer. cells. when I say healthy lung cancer, I don't mean that the lung cancer cells are healthy. I mean, they just are growing fine, right? You have to weaken them by starving them or else the experiment won't work. So you inoculate this stuff, this unpurified stuff in lung cancer or fetal tissues and then you put antibiotics in it because you want to kill the bacteria or, and you put bleach and other oxidizing agents in there because that weakens the cells so that the so-called virus from this unpurified stuff can actually break down the lung cancer or the human fetal tissue cells, right? hmm Then you let it grow and it destroys the lung cancer cells or the human fetal tissue cells, as you would expect, because you poisoned it with antibiotics, you starved it, and you put oxidizing agents like bleach in there, along with the unpurified snot from the person, right? Yeah. Then you have this this mess of dead lung cancer cells, dead fetal cells, Snot from the person, antibiotics, bleach, etc., and you put that in a centrifuge, and you spin out the stuff, and you get the liquid part on the top. You take all this unpurified stuff, and you inject that into the throat of a hamster. You slit the hamster's throat, stuff that stuff down in there, and some of the hamsters died. Some of them got pneumonia. Some of them nothing happened to. They did this with monkeys and this was Cove One. And one of the monkeys, they inject this mess into the monkeys and one of the monkeys got a rash and the other got pneumonia. And they said, see, we transmitted the virus. Wow. Now Think about that for a minute. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. They never isolated or purified anything they have no idea whether the reason they got sick because they didn't do a control. They didn't just slit the hamster's throat and stuff like saline down or, or snot from a person who wasn't sick or grew it without the antibiotics or the bleach. Because the fact is it won't grow if you don't starve and poison the cells that you're growing it on, this, this virus that's gonna kill us all can't even infect skin tissue growing in a dish. You have to poison it first. And people listening to me will say, this guy's crazy, because this can't be. But this is the published literature that proved this virus is causing this disease. Now again, they see all kinds of genetic material because if you take, you don't know where that genetic material is coming from. Is it coming from the snot of the person, the dead bacteria and viruses and, or the lung cancer cells, which we know make exosomes, especially when you poison them with antibiotics? We have no idea where that genetic material is coming from. And then we make a genetic test against that unpurified stuff and make computer models to make it seem like it's all coming from the same thing. And that's the proof that this coronavirus exists.
0: Okay, so when I heard what you had to say about this, which was really earth shattering two months ago, to say, you know, you're basically saying, I do not believe the evidence leads to a conclusion that the SARS CoV 2 virus caused this whole catastrophe that we've now changed everything about public life for everyone in the world is affected by yeah yeah back up so you we haven't even proven that it's a real virus
1: let me say let me just back up for one minute here because this has a precedent because there was a virologist named Stefan Lenka and he he decided that viruses don't cause disease even though he's a virologist and he said not only don't they cause disease the measles virus, one of the best characterized and known viruses, doesn't exist. Not that it doesn't cause disease. And he said, okay, I'll prove it to you. I will offer anybody 100,000 euros if they can prove in the German court system, not that it causes diseases, but that a measles virus exists, just that it exists. And a bunch of people took them up because they wanted the 100,000 euros. And he said that what you get what you get you that when you take the s- snot from somebody with measles and you centrifuge it and then you put it on lung cancer cells or egg cells or human fetal skin cells you don't know whether it's coming from any of these things right so he he for the first time commissioned a control where they took snot and they purified it so they got rid of any virus, right? So there's no way they were transmitting a virus. And then they did the same thing and they got the exact same genetic material in, in the where there was a virus or it wasn't proving that it came from the experimental method, not from the snot of the person who was sick. The German court said he was right and he didn't have to pay hundred thousand uh, euros.
0: And, and here we had, which I think was a precursor to this whole pandemic a year ago, all kinds of bullying going on nationwide, the uh, Disneyland outbreak of the measles, all of that. I mean, I, like hardly anyone died. Like it was said it was kind of a nothing, but the media took it and ran. We didn't know that that was literally just the warm up act to what we've got going on now, which I actually think is act two of a three part play. Um, but, you know measles is often used as the well obviously vaccines work because measles just like people say and you've already sort of put this to bed uh oh are you an anti-vaxxer i refuse to embrace that i'm like no i'm pro medical freedom and i'm pro safety and efficacy testing but i would not say i'm anti-vax i'm an ex-vaxxer i'm the mother of a vaccine injured child i am a vaccine injured person but um Uh, You know, people who haven't studied this but want to, you know, take pot shots will say to people like me, oh, you don't believe that vaccines are safe and effective? Two words to say to you, polio, smallpox. And I always want to say, actually, I have more words to say. I have more words to say about what really happened to polio and with, with polio and smallpox. And you've actually added a lot to you know, my understanding of what really happened there, because it goes, like you said, it goes totally back to the germ theory of disease versus the terrain theory.
1: polio I- or smallpox were transmitted by anything called a virus. No, there is no evidence. And again, if your listeners don't believe me, please send me the study showing a isolated purified virus causes disease in any human or animal given in the normal way because i haven't seen it and you won't find
0: it another thing that that the vast majority of americans don't realize is that you know these global entities like the world health organization have rewritten history to say that smoli- polio and smallpox i almost said smolio polio and smallpox disappeared because of the vaccine when if you go look at their own data it was on this bell curve and it was almost gone already in both cases when the vaccine came out. And so, you know, just the whole pharmaceutical, you know, industrial complex has has taken credit for that, that it doesn't deserve. So I heard you saying all these things, Dr. Cowan, you know, two months ago, and it was really a bold thing to say, everything that you've laid out for us. And so I was super curious to ask you today, because you said, hey, I can't find that anybody has put this virus through Koch's postulates. Like, we should have put this through some scientific rigor. And there is this gold standard with this four-stage Koch's postulates. From what you're saying here, I gather that as you continue to look, you still have found nobody who has subjected this virus to any kind of scientific scrutiny. Is that right?
1: That is correct. And they it's like they insist on not doing that anymore because they, I don't know what they know, but they, but they, what happened in this fork of the road is they spent years and decades trying to prove Koch's postulates with either bacteria or viruses and couldn't. So, and this was in the early 50s, essentially they came to a fork in the road. One fork was, yeah, this whole thing is ridiculous. Let's forget about it. Or you could change the postulates. And now one of, the, one of the ways you can prove a virus causes disease, believe it or not, is you can say, if you go to a place and a bunch of people get sick and you can't think of another reason, then it must be a virus. I mean, was Chernobyl a virus? There was a bunch of people gotten sick. And maybe you were asleep when the thing went off, so you didn't see it, so you didn't know it was a nuclear accident. Or, and it spread across Europe. Was Hiroshima a virus? I mean, there was a bomb blew off, maybe you missed that. And then 500,000 people in the same place all died. And, and so that fulfills that postulate. It, it's a whole bunch of people in the same place got sick, so it must be a virus.
0: Okay, so this this is a question with a really obvious answer, but I I still want to hear your answer. So we've all been told to stay home, shut the doors, don't get within six feet of each other. When I go play tennis, I'm not allowed to touch the ball because even though it's been disproven by a European study, uh, the idea is that you could, I guess, culture this virus from a ball. I have to squirt antibacterial gel on my hands. They've removed the benches so that no one can congregate and be anywhere near each other only the coaches can touch the balls Um, and those are just examples of thousands of rules that we are now under this regime of everything in public life and private life is highly regulated what do you think the chances are this is the really obvious question but i just want to still want to hear what you have to say what do you think the chances are then <clears throat> that the vaccine that bill gates is out on media tour saying he wants seven billion people to take before they're allowed out in public again what do you think the chances are that it has any value whatsoever for stopping the spread of this whatever it is
1: there's no virus causing any disease there's no possibility of a vaccine helping that. it's just as simple as that but if if you would permit me i mean this was a a, a run-up but I I actually want to address what I think is the central issue here. Because, Because all of this is a precursor to, I think, what I'm about to say. And I've come to the conclusion that this is really where the action is. So if you don't mind, I would like to say that. Please. So, you know, most people, when they hear me and they hear I don't know who else is saying this, Andy Kaufman, maybe a few others. they It seems perfectly reasonable and logical. And, you know, he makes sense. He's not apparently a crazy guy, although I let other people decide that. But here, here's the thing. So this the decision that people make, it turns out not to be about logic or sense. It turns out not to be whether they think I'm right or not or whether they even understand what they're hearing from the conventional media media that has nothing to do with this. Here's the issue that has, is the only thing that matters in my opinion that what I've come to, if he's right, meaning me, how come all these brilliant doctors and people and, you know, et cetera, think he's wrong. That's the question, that's, that's where people come to. It makes sense, but I can't possibly trust him because my, every doctor I know, every scientist I know, every virologist, every World Health, Fauci, everybody says he's wrong. So let me give you my understanding of how that comes about, because that's the issue. That's the issue that everybody listening will now be saying to themselves, Are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, this can't possibly, I I don't know what the flaw in the logic is. I don't even think there's a flaw in, like, am I I lying about the studies? No. But here's the problem, and I'm going to use another example. So there was a guy named Carrie Mullis, who was a chemist, who was a brilliant guy and a bit of an iconoclast and, you know, kind of beach bum but he was very smart chemist. And then one day he had a vision that became the PCR test, which we use to diagnose HIV and Hep C and all these other viral infections, including the coronavirus, right? He invented the test. He said, you cannot use this test to diagnose a viral disease. You cannot use this test to prove that a virus, this virus, causes the disease. That's what he said. And he knew that right away, but he didn't say anything because he thought to himself, and you there's an interview you can see on the, on the on YouTube now that that they asked him, So what do you make of this? He said, I, I just thought I was missing something. I thought I was stupid. He said, I thought there was these wise men in science and somehow they knew the truth and I just missed it. Maybe I just didn't see the right thing.
0: With his his own test. He thought that somebody was smarter than him about his own test that he devised.
1: Yes. And then he said, he went like that for 12 years. Oh my gosh. And then finally a, a group of, you know, a company asked him to write a paper on on using the test for diagnosing HIV that cause AIDS. So he said, fine, I'll do the paper. So he writes the paper. The first line of the paper is HIV virus, that's the virus, is the probable cause of AIDS. And then he said he put one because he was gonna put a reference, right? And he couldn't find a reference. And he looked for years trying to find a reference that would demonstrate because he knew it wasn't his task because that can't do that. And he couldn't find a reference. So by this time he was given the Nobel prize in chemistry for inventing this test. So he says he gets invited to this dinner of Nobel laureates, right? So he's very excited because finally he's going to meet the wise men who can set him straight. And so he goes to it and he goes up to Luke Montagnier, who, who was given the Nobel Prize for saying that HIV causes AIDS. He says to himself, finally, I found the wise men, I go up to Luke, now he's, he, he talks to me because I have a Nobel Prize, so I'm supposedly smart. And he says, can you give me a reference that shows that HIV causes AIDS? And Montagnier says, yeah, there's this study here. Now, Kerry happened to know that study. And A, it was about baboons, and B, it didn't even mention HIV in it, the whole study. Not, he said to Luke Montagnier, but that study has nothing to do with this. And at that point, Montagnier walks away and
0: refuses
1: to even engage with him
0: any further. He was probably terrified that he would get exposed. There's a there there's a guy out there. I've seen a I've seen an interview with him. He's probably in his 60s and he's a PhD epidemiologist and they basically torched his career because he said, "Hey, you guys, the evidence doesn't show that HIV causes AIDS." And so he just got gaslit and destroyed.
1: So, my point is it's not surprising people out there that you will question your your whether You know, you're just stupid, or you don't understand it, or there must be people smarter than you, or it can't possibly be this because there's wise men out there who are, you know, guiding our ship. Kerry Mullis thought this. He was given the Nobel Prize for inventing the test. For a decade, he didn't say anything because he just thought, I don't know, I must have missed something, or I don't understand it, until it hit him one day. There are no wise men. I'm the wise man. I'm, I'm in this group of elite scientists, and I don't see it. And then they got rid of me. The emperor has no
0: clothes. Mm-hmm. The emperor has no clothes. That, that story actually reminds me of the, um, the scientist who invented the PSA for prostate cancer, and then spent years and years and years saying hey you guys like you took this PSA test and you went places with it I didn't intend you can't say that because somebody has a high PSA they have prostate cancer you can't do that with my test but it was a runaway train and physicians MDs all over the world still use it for that even though that's it doesn't indicate prostate cancer very similar story
1: you know the thing that infuriates me more than anything is the doctors ha- are such suckers. They'll buy anything, and I hate to say that, you know, because, but I I don't know what else to say. And we we all have this fear. I, I mean, not even me. Like I like I'm some you know whatever. But you know I come to these things and I think you know Tom these viruses don't cause disease. And you think to yourself, I can't possibly be right. Like, I must be stupid, or I must have missed something, or I forgot to read this paper, or I fell asleep in that lecture. I don't know what happened. I can't be right. And it turns out you are.
0: Yeah, my my closest friend for my entire life, we've been friends since first day of seventh grade. She was number one in her MBA class at Stanford. Got an undergraduate degree from from Brown, Ivy League school. One of the smartest people I know. She she came to me when I started speaking up on February 27th, saying this is this virus is not what you think it is. The evidence doesn't match up here. And I was saying this very loudly on many public platforms. And uh, she came to me privately and said, either you are the smartest person in the world. Or you need to stop because you're dangerous. You are anti-science. You are going up against lots and lots and lots of scientists. I just don't value all the people who jump in, you know, like 16,000 scientists who say, you know, global warming was going to, 16,000 of them said that we would be under, we would all be buried in, you know, a glacier by now. So, you know, I, I think there are things like this all the time in industry and a lot of crazy dynamics of this very, very swampy situation that our medical system, our broken medical system is in. And I didn't realize, I'm like you, I've learned more in the last three months. I mean, that's the good thing and the bad thing. I've learned more about science and about some of these industries that are underneath this whole scamdemic than in the 10 years before it. I've learned more in the last three months and it's becoming clear that science is extremely, corrupt, and flawed. Where's the good science? Where is the good science? Where can we find people doing pure work? I mean, I've learned about the Bayh-Dole Act that 40 years ago, we said, hey, all these university researchers can profit by their discoveries, and they can go and get it patented, and they can go into alliances and partnerships with foreign entities and other entities, which completely changes the, the nature of science, really. Where's the pure science being done, Dr. Cowan?
1: It's only done with people um, who decide to forge on their own and make something happen out of their own resources. So, you know, one of the things, here's a sort of plug for my companies. We're we're dedicated to, so for instance, we have, uh, you know, I wrote a book that the heart doesn't pump the blood, it's more acts like a suction device. So here's an example of what you're saying. And it's basically and so there's a long history of if you use suction to move fluid that actually creates healthier fluid than if you use pushing propulsion. So we now are working with a company in Germany who have a shower head or you can water your garden with it. And inside so you put you attach it to a hose and it's embedded with gold and silver lined vortices that create this this torus field inside the head which structures the water and it creates a suction instead of a pushing in in other words you have this stream of water and it's suctioning not pushing the water and because of that it's imbuing whatever the water touches with all this energy so you get healthier plants and healthier people. Now, here's the question. How do you know that's true? Because they say it's true, but we should all think, okay, how do I know that's true? Here's how, and you can see this on, it'll be on our website soon and it's on there. You put the hose and you put it on and then you put your hand next to it and it sucks your hand back up into the hose. And if you put a normal hose there, it just goes like this, because normally you're pushing water, which robs it of its energy. And that's, this, that's just a fact. You can't say, I don't believe it, or I don't not believe it, because, <laughs> because your experience is, you suck it up. You know, you can even suspend like a yogurt top underneath the hose. Because, and, and you think that can't even be. The, the point is whatever you think about theories what you should go by is what you see what you see is it's a suction and then you can you can surmise from that if you're interested that if you do this suction and expose plants to it it will give them more energy and that's why we're gonna you know give the farmers who grow our, our vegetables that become powders, we're gonna try to get them this suction device simply to make their plants healthier. That's science. Science is people, you know, having ideas and then discovering facts or observations, sorry, observations, and then trying to understand life based on that. Now, it turns out the reason I don't know if I'm good at it, but I've been practicing this for 40 years, how to do that. Because one of the the heroes in my life was a guy named Goethe, who wrote Faust. And he said two things. One, always start from observations, not what you think is true, and build your ideas and theories based on what you see for real. And the second thing he said, which is very interesting, if you want to understand a living system, how do you know that the first thing to do is to A, kill it and then B, cut it up and see what it's made of? In other words, some, for some reason, we think it's, it's, it's the truth that if you want to understand how you work, we should first kill you and then uh, cut you up into little pieces and look under the microscope and somehow we're going to find out how a rabbit works by doing it. Goethe said that's nonsense in fact you'd be better off with a macroscope so understand how the rabbit is living in the world and what its food is like and whether there's a bunch of wolves trying to eat the rabbit and whether the grass is good and whether there's no, no water or whatever just understand the rabbit in its, in its entirety and it's how it lives. That's how you understand life. And for some reason, we have decided that the first thing to do, if you wanna understand why somebody gets sick, is cut up their lung and find out what their lung looks like under a dead microscope. And my contention is you'll never figure out why anybody gets sick
0: by doing that. Makes sense. Well, that that's a great place to go to um, to end on. I just love for you to tell us how you grow vegetables. So uh, the site is you can you can find our discount on it. It's greensmoothiegirl.com/slash dr cowan. That's d r c o w a n. I stocked up when I started to hear the U.N. saying that um, famines of biblical proportions are on their way. You know, it's your responsibility to take care of you and your family. Um, And I was like, gosh, you know, I live on plants and I'm growing some this summer. And I've hit you guys hard with that message. You need to be getting some heirloom seeds and growing a victory garden. Very, very important. It's not too late, um, depending on where you live. But... One thing I did is I stocked up at Dr. Cowan's Garden. So it's greensmoothiegirl.com slash Dr. Cowan. DR Cowan. And then use this coupon, Dr. Cowan's Garden. Again, there's no punctuation in that, and it's just DR for Dr. Dr. Cowan's Garden. Um, when I was when I was stocking up probably six weeks ago, some of the things were sold out, but we went there because I, I was like, I don't want to talk about this today. If people are going to be frustrated and they go there and they get nothing. But will you just give us like the two minute version of how you grow vegetables? Is it in a greenhouse? Because you're in the Bay Area and, and you, you do like it's not just organic. Like you do all this great biodiversity. These are wild crafted vegetables. You can't get this in your grocery store. You can't get this in the best health food market produce section in the country. That's what's so amazing about your products and then you dry them at low temperatures and they'll be my green smoothie when I when I, if I can't get greens or vegetables. I mean, you know, hopefully none of these food shortages happen, but we do have to be prepared. Tell us a little bit about how you grow because that's a lot of why you know so much about the microbiome and the microbiome and all of that is that you're actually out there with your hands in the dirt growing stuff in the microbiome.
1: Let me let me just be clear though. We the, the, the company started because I am am like the the manager of about a one acre garden in California in the Bay Area. And we we started by growing the vegetables mainly me and turning those into powders, but as we got bigger, we I don't grow anything for Dr. Cowan's garden. So just to oh, be Okay. Clear, and, and, and that's actually a good thing, because, number one, there's no way I want to be growing, you know, hundreds of feet of kale. I just don't want to do that. So I have a garden that I grow, you know, at any one time I'll have a hundred different edible stuff growing in the garden. And and but, but what's important here is we went from that to finding the best gardener farmers anywhere, you know, like Mike Benzinger, who's... He's a far better gardener than I am. He His biodynamic system is unmatched anywhere. Hmm. He, he is, you know, he knows how to correlate nutrient levels with the exact amount of water he puts in the soil and how to, you know, plant an insectary so that he, he brings all these beneficial insects and butterflies and caterpillars and moss. And he knows the, the, the moisture level, the sun level that each of the plants needs, and he grows for us. I mean, I don't even you know, Red Range Farm is a certified biodynamic that we've been working with, and Mark Risto Farms is another certified biodynamic, so they they use many of these really advanced, These these are, you know, some of the best vegetable growers anywhere. And so they're better at it than me. So I don't want to say, well, Tom, I mean, I, I know something about this, right? And I use all these funny, you know, vortexing devices and all this. But that's, that's not Dr. Cowan's garden. Like, I, I don't want to mislead people. And I'm not saying,
0: I'm but they're grown. Saying, they're grown to your specs, and you have some yeah. really interesting blends. Tell us about just one or two of your blends of these, like root vegetables and superfoods that that you have grown.
1: Right. So some of them, you know, are foods that people don't have access to, like ashitaba, which is probably the most nutritious green vegetable, and it even has these anti-cancer, you know, anti-aging substances in them. So that's one. But some of these came because like a human being, a plant has three so-called spheres or hearts. So it has a root sphere and it has a leaf and a stem sphere, and it has a flower and a fruit sphere. This is like the head and the chest and the abdomen of a human being. This is basically Steiner theory. And so if you want to eat a whole plant, you should eat the roots and the leaves and the, and the flower or fruit. Now, most plants are specialized, so you don't want to eat the fruit of a carrot because there isn't one. Carrots are specialized roots, and chard is specialized leaves, and pumpkin is specialized fruit, or, or just as an example. So we put those three together, and you have the whole plant. Now, it's not one plant, but it's the best root, the best leaf, the best fruit, that together is 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 human nutrition.
0: And it's just really synergistic. Yeah. So one quick thing before we go, will you tell us one tip for you see all the freedoms that we've lost, Dr. Cowan? What's one tip for our viewers how to reclaim their freedoms they've lost?
1: Don't wear a mask.
0: <laughs> Don't wear a mask. I love it. I completely agree with you.
1: Masks are are there there was two use historically of masks. One was shamans used it to change their personality and sometimes to cause disease. So if they wanted to, to make the people think they were a monkey instead of a person, they would don the mask of a monkey and they would assume the form of a monkey. And then they could do, quote, supernatural things. I'm not saying that's accurate. I'm saying that's what they thought. So they used mass to change their personality, and they also used mass to cause disease because you become a nameless, faceless person, and they're easier to, to impregnate, so to speak, with ideas, sometimes even including causing disease. The other main use historically of masks was it was used in the slavery times, So whenever the slaves left the plantation, they would have to wear masks to demonstrate, A, they were voiceless, and B, they had no individual personality. They were just slaves. That's where we are now. So don't be a slave don't make yourself sick.
0: Thank you so much for this gift of your time. I've really learned so much from you, not just from this interview, but listening to you uh, speak to others. Um, Thank you for being brave and speaking up about the truth, even if it's not what what uh, quote unquote science is telling us. Thank you so very much, Dr. Cowan.
1: Thank you.